And it's the Jim Eskimen podcast again. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for, I don't know, do you tune in? You click in? What do we say? I don't know. Thanks for listening. And uh, I, I beg your indulgence tonight. I have no agenda at all whatsoever tonight or this morning or whenever you happen to be listening to this. But I am grateful to reach out and to share with you uh, whatever I've learned this week and in my life of nearly 57 years. My birthday's coming up. September 10th, if you want to, I don't know if you want to send me a message or something, that would be lovely. Love to hear from people. Uh, yeah, so I'm almost 57, which is funny to me because I don't feel 57. I look in the mirror and I go, oh, that looks kind of like 57. But as far as my feelings inside and who I am, perhaps like you, you don't feel your numerical age, except sometimes maybe after you've had a lot of beer and the next day, you wake up and you feel like, wow, I, yeah, I see what this is. This is what old age feels like. Or, or you've helped somebody move out in the hot sun and, and you've depleted yourself of all your necessary potassium and saline and Rastafarian and everything else that the body contains. I'm very scientific in this show, and I want to try and share with you all the knowledge that I have. Recently had an unusual experience. I went down to San Diego for the Comic-Con, the comic convention comics and I don't know the full actual name of it, uh, the abbreviation, Comic-Con. But when you get there, boy, it's something. And I'd heard about it for years, and I knew there were hundreds of thousands of people that went. But I was not really prepared, not really prepared for, for what was going down there at Comic-Con. And the whole city down there in San Diego, lovely time of year, lovely town, the whole city becomes dedicated to, uh, you know, the marketing and uh, spreading of information about and trading of comics, comic book characters, graphic novels, animated TV shows, and anything that has to do with imagination, really, uh, that's out there, that's, that's sort of in currency at the moment, or that was beloved from the past. Uh, I don't know how to define Comic-Con, but you see, you know, what's grown up, and you've probably heard about this, is that there's a, a subculture, or maybe it is the culture, it's not the subculture, it is the culture of Comic-Con, which is people... In the main, dressing up and doing cosplay of all their favorite characters and superheroes and stuff, and you know, it's really it's really astounding. It's it's somewhat different from Halloween, in a good way. Halloween is is marvelous, and it also goes the gamut, you know. And you can see all kinds of costumes and kids and some adults. And you know, you go to the West Village, you go to uh, you know Washington Square Park in New York, and you will see adults, you know, dressed up every which way. But in this case, it's it's all in a sort of a different milieu. It is daytime, mostly. It is convention center kind of aesthetic and public streets and downtown areas and, uh, you know, having to go into restaurants and, and use restrooms and the whole deal. So the flow of it and the vibe of it is 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 more fun uh, in a lot of ways and more family-friendly, I guess. I, that's a bad descriptor. But... It's just different from Halloween. And when I remarked about that to a, a police officer I sat down, I sat next to, uh, we were eating lunch nearby one another, and uh, I said, yeah, it's kind of a good vibe, sort of different. He said, yeah, it's nice. He said, it's, it's pretty cool. I said, yeah, what, what's the deal? And he said, yeah, no alcohol. I'm like, ah, I see. Because alcohol is not a big part of the Comic-Con experience. I'm sure it is a small part, but it's not a, not a big part. And that, that does tinge any any group of, of people in costume, I think, uh, when they're all sucking down beers and, and worse. 
it's a whole other thing. Anyway, I was invited by a very nice man named Mark Evanier, who contacted me through my agents at CESD, through uh, Kathy Lizio, and asked me if I would like to speak at a panel. And of course, I was waiting for this because I did want to go to Comic-Con, but I didn't want to just go. I wanted to be invited to go and participate. That's how I like to, you know, I like to be a little special. I like to not be a VIP exactly, but I, you know, I like to have, I like to have a little, I like to have someone open the door for me. Uh, so there you go. And maybe that's a weak point in my character, but I waited and eventually someone asked me. So I got to share the panel with some wonderful voice actors, among them a couple guys that I know very well, Greg Berger and Phil Lamar. Phil Lamar, who I've directed, actually, I had the honor of, I've acted with him and I actually got to direct him on an audiobook project one time. And the only reason why I bring that up is not to show that look how much more lofty I am than Phil Lamar. I'm not. And it came home to me when I when I directed him, just how skilled he is. I had no idea. I had no idea. He's really terrific. He can really do anything, uh, which is the mark, of course, of a, of a great voice actor. Is they can disappear and just suddenly what is left is this puff of sound that has in it the entire uh, lexicon, the entire geography of a character. And it's rich and it's satisfying and wonderful. Anyway, so I got to, you know, play around a little bit on stage with uh, some very talented people. And uh, there was a section of it where Mark, who was a very good moderator, by the way, and, and you can see video of this on YouTube, I think. You can certainly see a little clip in, on my YouTube channel. Have you been to my YouTube channel, by the way? You should subscribe to it. It's free. And it makes me look very important when there are a lot of subscribers. Uh, anyway, there's a little clip there. There's probably the whole interview is on, somewhere on YouTube. But he had us do a thing where we read a script, and uh, it was a simple story. It was some sort of fairy tale like Rapunzel. And everybody had different parts, and you could choose any sort of funny voice. And for narrators like myself, and uh, I think it was Greg, but it might have been someone else, uh, we got to do different impressions with every paragraph. So I picked out my Tommy Lee Jones, my Ian McKellen, of course, and Jack Nicholson and had him read a section of this uh, very engaging uh, fairy tale. And it was very amusing, a lot of fun. And, and you know, the audience, of I would say about a thousand people were jammed in that room to watch us horse around like this and to learn about things and stories and our worst experiences and most embarrassing moments and whatnot. And uh, and that was pretty fun. And then my wife, Tamara, and I walked around and looked at all the wonder and all the confusion and all the minutia that is Comic-Con. I mean, it is just jammed. It is just jammed and, and growing, I guess. It's just snowballing. I would have liked to see what it was like about, about 20 years ago. There were probably about six people with booths and old copies of Mad Magazine. But now it's, uh, it's a lush. And, of course, all the big shows and big projects, big movies big um, uh, concerns and companies like to get in there and they've got, you know, they got some territory staked out uh, as well as, uh, you know, the younger and littler and more quirky, esoteric little booths. I saw a guy, we saw a guy that was making these little wool animals and he was doing them right there with a, and he was kind of poking these little things. I can't describe it, but it was just really charming. And then contrast that with uh, I ran into my good friend Ross Marquand at the Walking Dead exhibit, and it looked like the Walking Dead section of the Metropolitan Art Museum or or the Johnson Space Center. It was, you know, a massive trailer, and when I say trailer, I mean like a caravan, 
And in front of it was a whole set. There was fake grass and I think and, and it's you know woods and 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 then these life-size wax, they look like wax figures like you'd see in Madame Tussauds of the you know the final scene from last season, the season finale of The Walking Dead, including my friend Ross Marquand done up in a wax figure. He looked very realistic. I don't know how they must have done it. They must have scanned him. I don't know. I haven't talked to Ross in a while. Maybe, Ross, if you listen to this, give me a call. Let me know how they did this. They dip you into something. Uh, it was astonishing, and it was it was kind of freaky to see. Here's here's my old pal, completely motionless, in the middle of Comic-Con, about to be hit over the head with a bat covered with barbed wire. Luckily, none of that happened. And it wasn't a kind of a circus thing where you'd come up and hit your favorite uh, cast member with a bat. That, so that's good, because that would have been offensive. So we wandered around and, and absorbed that whole thing and got completely, completely knackered. I mean, just wrecked, tired. Uh, and then, of course, we'd stacked on several more events, you know, on the same day, thinking, well, as long as we're down there, not realizing, not crediting how exhausted the whole the whole thing would make us feel. So we went and saw our friend Nancy Cartwright had an opening at an art gallery about three blocks away. And that was beautiful. She did, She's done some really fun uh, work in the style of various artists and kind of, I don't know, it's a kind of a wonderful technique where she paints on the back of glass and paints on the back of, I think, acetate and other things. And so it's very vibrant, very vivid colors. And she's having a ball with that. And that was at the Chuck Jones Gallery. And we had pizza with her beforehand and a bunch of people. And then earlier in the day, I had to go to do a voiceover for the Conan people. They needed me to do Darth Vader. I do Darth Vader for Conan's gags sometimes. And it sounds better with an effect and with the blowing, the breathing and everything. Uh, so I, I had to squeeze that in because they needed that at the last minute. So you can bet by the end of this day, after walking for miles and, and trying to absorb all this stuff and, and you know, being in a really what is a kind of a freaky fever dream airport uh, Comic-Con, you're just, you're just so trashed. You don't want to do anything the next day. And that's that's what we did. We went to my... My mom's house down there and just collapsed and didn't do anything. So what did I learn from that? What can you learn from Comic-Con? Well, I, I did learn something, and I, it was a little bit daunting. It was a little bit sobering because, you know, so often you go to an event somewhere, even if it's just a play, and, you know, all the world's a stage. What you see is a kind of a, a the microcosm within the larger picture of the world. And I have to say that the thing I came away from Comic-Con thinking was, wow, this is really the world of entertainment. It just happens to be all compressed into a couple of city blocks. But all this, all these rules and all this tradition and all these uh, methods of communicating and various art forms and the whole velocity and, and, uh, and volume level of it is what's going on in the world today, and that is the world I live in. I live in it as a consumer, and I live in it as a, a provider of voices and a, uh, an aspirant, a, a guy who's trying to get work in this world and to make an impact, and as a creator uh, myself of, of things. I am trying to be heard in this cacophony of sounds that is the current world of, of consumer entertainment and imaginative stuff. So it was like, oh, my gosh, how do I fit into all this? And I do kind of have a toehold into things as a talent. I mean, you can find me here and there 
in these projects, in these booths. But man, there's a quantity. There is a lot of quantity. And I'm like a, a grain of sand in this whole universe of stuff. So it was like, oh, I see. You have to really make a lot of noise. And anybody can make a lot of noise. Just, you know, blow your car up in the middle of a busy downtown block. You know, be a suicide bomber. Sure, you'll make a lot of noise. You'll have a big effect on people. Uh, some, you know, no one will ever forgive you for it, least of all yourself. So the, but the thing that makes it translatable to your life and my life is, well, yeah, we want to make a big noise, but we want to make it in such a way that, that it inspires other people or it makes them feel a little better or it helps point the way towards a, a happier life or, you know, some sort of positive thing with the noise, you know. Maybe it just is so entertaining and so imaginative that people are just pleased to hear about it, like a comic book character, like people who love Wonder Woman or people who love the Green Lantern. Uh, you know, they just love it. Why? It makes them feel good. Why? Does it remind them when they're kids? And they're, Who cares? It makes them feel good. There is a therapeutic aspect to it. There is a positive aspect to it. A much po- more positive aspect than blowing up your SUV downtown in the middle of a parade. So that clarified things for me. I realized, well, I got to get busy. I got to get busy doing the most creative, fun, uplifting, uh, beneficial kind of work I can possibly do. And that is very challenging and scary because it's much easier to just go, well, I'm sure someone will hire me to do a silly voice for Conan or for Kimmel or for something. That's, that's a given. It's going to come along. They come along anyway. Is that what one wants to pursue and really try to develop and dedicate one's life to? Or is it this other thing of trying to create something that is so engaging because of its inherent and obvious value? Well, it sounds good, sounds easy, but that's what I learned from Comic-Con. It's like, wow, man, maybe you better get busy. Think about what's really important. And uh, be creative, you know, which at the end of the day is always the answer. But um, be creative in an you know, ever-expanding sort of um, motion, if that makes sense. Uh, in other words, do more, do better, be loud, but be beneficial. So that was my Comic-Con adventure. Very interesting. And then it got really quiet. And I don't know if everybody was just exhausted from Comic-Con. I doubt it. I think people went back to work in the main. But maybe it's summer vacation. I sort of felt like I was on summer vacation. And that was great for a couple days. And then I thought, I'm going to freak out if I don't get some work pretty soon. I did get little jobs here and there. Uh, but I find that I, I'm a kind of guy that likes to work every day on something, make a buck here and there, do something creative. I've had a few little things come along, nothing too exciting. But again, I realized, all right, when you have downtime, then that's the time to get organized. Maybe you've noticed this. Maybe you've had downtime and you go, wow, I don't know what to do. Well, all that stuff that you felt like you didn't have time to do, it'd be a great time to do it then. So I've got writing to do. I've got all kinds of creating to do. I've got memorizing to do. I'm going to do a show in um, just a few weeks, actually the uh, couple of days after my birthday. I keep coming back to this birthday thing because birthdays birthdays are very important. We just celebrated my daughter's birthday and my wife's birthday was in July. Very important. Just feels good. You know, people validate you. Anyway, a couple days after my birthday, September 12th, I'll be in Fargo, North Dakota. If anybody happens to be listening to me in Fargo, North Dakota, I'm coming to your town. 
I'm going to do a, a live show, about an hour show for uh, National Grocers Association. So if you're a grocer living in Fargo and you're listening to my podcast, I will see you there. The likelihood of that, I realize, is very slim. Hey, by the way, I do this podcast really just for myself uh, and to promote whatever I've got going on. I do it because a couple of people have told me that they like it. Uh, but I realize I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to, I've created a kind of a person that I'm talking to who's very similar to myself and understands very well what I'm talking about. But I honestly don't know who you are. And I wonder, okay, I know who one of you is. I know who Sufyan is because he's from Mumbai and he's written to me. And Sufyan, you are listening to this and I'm so happy that you are out on the other side. And I can't wait for you to be in Vancouver because it's so beautiful. So I know Sufyan, and uh, that's about it. So if you, you you can just remain being a quiet, invisible person in the dark. That's totally fine. Or in the light, if you prefer. Or in the plaid, wherever you happen to be. In the tartan. You can be in the tartan. Or you can let me know who you are and let me know what uh, what you like about my podcast, if anything, or what you would prefer I did or did not talk about. And then I'll have a little feedback. And I wouldn't mind at all. But I'm also happy to just go on blathering, talking to a nebulous, um, you know, sort of self-generated person. So, and it's funny to to talk about things and, and, and frankly be rather intimate. I don't feel like being terribly, I don't want to hide things from you. Again, because I mostly feel like I'm talking to myself. What's the point of hiding things from yourself? But what can I tell you? I, I like you, the vague and uh, indeterminate you. But I think it's pretty safe to say, like, like you, uh, I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to have a fulfilled life. I'm trying to sort all this stuff out. The environment and the culture and politics and the world scene and all that is very upsetting. Hard to confront. Let's let's call it that. Hard to confront. Hard to face. So I'm always looking for uh, opportunities to create something fun, create something maybe beautiful, uh, if I can. You know, something truthful anyway. Not a, not another just another lie, unless it's an artful lie that makes people laugh. You know, that is a legitimate form of humor is to lie. Uh, but a, a, a harmful or uncharitable lie such as we hear quite a lot these days from both sides or all five sides, or if it's a dodecahedron, a lot of sides. I think that means 12. You'll correct me when you write in to tell me who you are and what you want me to say. Anyway, that's all disturbing. But I think we all kind of, we're starting to grow up a little bit. And one great gift that the internet, which allows you and I to have this conversation, uh, one great thing the internet has given us is the uh, a viewpoint on the media, Right. Uh, I think a lot of people were hip to the fact that the media was had a point of view and that the media probably, if you followed it and tugged the string, you would find a person uh, maybe with a billion dollars who, you know, had an axe to grind or something to sell or, you know, or something to say, not necessarily in a, a completely neutral way. So now it's like the Internet is, I think, a, a, another definition of the Internet uh, beyond the technical one or beyond the practical day-to-day one is the Internet is the, a collection of, you know, obnoxious lies. Because it is, you know, to some degree. I mean, you can find any kind of lie. You can find 
you know, your most cherished truths, you can find a website that tears us to pieces and burns the wreckage and then pees on it all. So we've been given a clue about the media just through observation, through exposure and being able to see a lot of it and being able to compare. And uh, we sort of realize that, hey, you know, uh, that's interesting. You know, these big, big media outlets and big media channels and big sources of information, they're not as neutral as we thought. Maybe they never were, but now they really seem quite slanted on both sides, whether they're totally against Hillary and think she's a witch or they're totally against Donald. Meanwhile, you know, we're, we've got so much attention on Hillary and Donald. It's like people, you know, caring about soap opera characters all day long. That's all they want to talk about. Are they going to get married? Are they, are they breaking up? You know, are they going to, is one going to get the other arrested? Is one going to get elected? Who knows? It's a little distracting because, frankly, there's a lot of more important things going on. And you say, more important than the presidential election? Jim, what are you talking about? And I say to you, yes, Jim. By the way, call me Mr. Meskimen. There are a lot more important things to worry about because, frankly, you know, there's going to be a moment when we go, when we Americans go into the voting booth. And at that moment, it suddenly becomes important. But right up until then, I just don't think it's that important. I think we listen to the people. uh, We listen to the candidates themselves. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to the people we trust. And then shut off the rest of it, man, because the media, it will blow up everything or they'll, you know, they'll disguise everything. They'll do what people do. You know, they do what individuals do. But I find the media as if you if you took like your favorite uh, website and uh, for news and and considered it to be an individual like a person in your house uh, or a radio station that you listen to and, and giving you news, uh, I, I think if, if after you heard all this bad news constantly, 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 and nothing useful and nothing supportive and nothing constructive, after a while you'd say, you know what, would you mind going home and don't get in the car with me again because that's really disturbing. Just a few thoughts. Uh, I'm working on a uh, new video now, which will be a Donald Trump and a Hillary Clinton video, kind of expressing what I feel about the election, making more noise, hopefully in a positive way, in an uplifting and educational and beneficial way. You'll let me know. And in the meantime, have a great week. Uh, Get outside, get some sunshine. Enjoy your family. You know, really take as much joy in life as you can. I'm giving you that advice. It's me also giving me that advice. Get out of the booth. Take a deep breath of fresh air. You don't always have to have a microphone in front of your face, do you? Go walk your dog. Thanks to Jeff Levin for the music. Tate Rupert will be back any day now. We'll be able to do some more improvised bits. In the meantime, thanks a lot for listening. Talk to you soon.